Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an honest youth pastor. Welcome back to, to an honest youth pastor. Welcome back to an honest youth pastor. Oh, this is rewind. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Man, it's been a while since I've said that because we are finally back with another sermon review. Um, if you wonder what we've been doing and you've just happened to come across this or you're new to this channel because perhaps of these videos, just put out a recent Andy Stanley video essay on the life of not only Andy, but also Charles Stanley, kind of how Andy got to where he is, what he sort of believes or kind of kind of what we can work out from what he believes uh, in regards to what we have. But anyway, you can check that out. You can check that out. Just search uh, Andy Stanley, Honest Youth Pastor. It'll come up. It'll come up. There'll be a lot of videos, but you're looking for the one that... Uh, the video essay one. So today we are back though, once again, with a sermon review. And if you're just happening across this and you have no clue what just happened in the last minute, or if you're new to this channel and you have no clue what a sermon review is, because that's not why you subscribed here, let me explain to you sort of what we normally do every single week. Every week on this channel, uh, on Saturdays, typically we release a new sermon review. And what that means is we work through a variety of different sermons from a variety of different pastors, looking at three things specifically in each sermon. One, do they open the Bible? Two, do they exegete the word using context and culture to bring an application? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, sometimes they far exceed that bar. Sometimes they don't even get close to that bar. But that's what we're looking for. We're not really looking at methodology because every pastor has a little bit different of methodology as far as how they approach the sermon, what kind of what they add to or don't add to the sermons that they preach. So we don't want to look at methodology because methodology is different between contexts and cultures and people groups. And so really what we're looking at is the three key things, though. Do they open the Bible? Do they exegete that text and tell us, you know, who wrote it, why it's written, that the application is for us as modern believers, and do they preach the gospel of Jesus? So those things don't change across cultures and contexts. So those are the things that we're really holding on to and saying, hey, this is what has to be in a sermon. Now, before we uh, get into it, there's a couple things I want to tell you about. First, down below in the description, there is a free uh, downloadable, well, there's a link to a free downloadable PDF guide to where you can do this in your own church or when you watch sermons online. I use it every single week in my own church and it's free to you and you can download it and all that cool stuff. There's something else too, though. If you want to grow in your faith or if you want to... Um, maybe help your kids grow in their faith. We have some resources for that. One of those is going to be our Westminster Shorter Catechism cards. And all of the Shorter Catechism are on these cards. And in each on each card, there's a question. And then there's the answer to that question. And then there's verses down below to kind of explain the answer to that question. So if you want to get that, check out that link below uh, as well. And um, that I think that'll be really helpful to you. Got great reviews back on that. You can read some of those on the site as well. So anyway, there's that. So today we're going to be looking at one of the pastors that you guys suggested or somebody suggested him. I have no clue who did. I've never heard of him before. Um, well, that's a correction. The name sounds familiar, but I've never heard a sermon from him before. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sit down uh, and watch a sermon from Chip Ingram called The Faithfulness of God. Now, again, not watch this sermon have no clue who Chip is, don't know how this is going to go. So hopefully it goes well. The sermon itself is about 28 minutes long. So um, that's we'll, we'll see what we can get to in 28 minutes. So uh, Chip Ingram, Faithfulness of God. Let's go ahead and jump into it and see, uh, see what we get here. Welcome to Living on the Edge. Hi, I'm Chip Ingram. 
and we've been in a series. <laughs> okay, so hold on. Right away, for you guys that are listening via the audio, you obviously don't see this, uh, but there is a uh, there at the bottom, like his lower third. It says Chick Chip Ingram, CEO and teaching pastor of Living on the Edge. Um, so I don't know. I this is probably a ministry and not a church, is what I'm guessing, because it's not like. <laughs> not like michael pastor and ceo <laughs> like that's not how that works or shouldn't work series called the real god how he longs for you to see him and you know it's been several weeks and i'm going to talk about something this week that is the foundation it's been the source of all that has changed my life in my lowest most difficult times i start with a little picture of my family that i think you'll find very interesting but for reasons that you'll never believe stay with me that's today on Living on the Edge. A.W. Tozer writes in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, all of God's acts are consistent with all of his attributes. And then I put in bold because this is one of those sentences that it's so profound it hurts my head. No attribute contradicts any other, but all harmonize and blend into each other in the infinite abyss of the Godhead. I mean, the infinite abyss of the God. I mean, can you, his love, his majesty, his power, his goodness, his holiness in the infinite abyss, this God who spoke and galaxies, billions of them come into existence and yet says to you and me, I want to be your friend and I will never, ever leave you and I'll never let you down. And anything that I have ever said, any promise I've ever made, I will guarantee based on my character and my track record that I'll be with you. It's absolutely amazing. So what I want to do in our time is talk a little bit about intellectually and biblically, well, how has God revealed that? But I want to spend the great majority of our time on how that faithfulness impacts the deepest struggles and challenges of our life. Okay, so from the beginning, in case, again, you're new here, one of the things I want to look at is how, how the sermon is built out, right? So as from my perspective, as a pastor that preaches uh, on a monthly basis, um, I want to make sure the sermon is built in such a way that it's understandable by the people that are hearing it from me. So he's already kind of laid it out. He said, hey, you know, God has spoken to humanity. Uh, he holds up the Bible like these are his promises. This is how we know he's faithful. He wants to be our friend, even though he's the God that spoke everything to an existence. He wants to know you and me. And he's saying, okay, so what we're going to do is look at that God that is faithful, even in the midst of, of like struggles and things like that. So we sort of laid out the beginning, even though it seems like it was kind of cut together and a little bit produced there at the beginning. I think we've come in at basically the beginning. And his stated point then is this is, this is we're going to look at his faithfulness and his promises, even in hard times. So now as a congregate, as somebody sitting in the audience like you and I are now, we now have this expectation. This is the thing that you have to answer for us. Um, so we started that out. We kind of know the end goal from a pastoral standpoint, right? For somebody building a sermon, this is good because we've given, we've given the people we're talking to a goal. This is what we're, what we're moving toward. So let's see how we do that. So let's talk about how has he revealed his faithfulness first by creation. Psalm 119, 89 and 90 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. Uh, my dad was a science teacher and I... Okay, I, I hate to interrupt right away again. So what we kind of can tell from this then is that he's not probably going to be preaching uh, expositionally through the text. 
Now, what that means is this, is that he's not going to be like, hey, here's a text. We're going to be looking at that text. We're going to be working through that text. We're going to know kind of who that text was written to, what's going on, what's the purpose point, all of that. What it seems like he's going to do then is give us like points. So the first one is creation. He went to Psalm whatever, like it was so quick. I didn't even like I was writing down creation and I missed the text that he was referring to. Um, so this is probably how we're going to go then, right? So he's going to be like, hey, faithfulness of God. How do we know he's faithful? Well, number one, he's faithful in creation. Um, this is also where like, taking notes is helpful. Like even in taking notes, I guess, I didn't capture the verse. So I don't know how good maybe that is. But it's one of those things where now it's going to be a lot on us to take notes so that we can stick, you know, we can keep up with him because he seems like he's going to be moving pretty fast through some of this. Had many majors in college and science was one of them. And I like the physical sciences and, you know, you learn about the planets and you realize this this planet of ours is going around the sun. I mean, I think it's like 24, 25,000 miles an hour. It's crazy. And, and we're spinning around very fast. And yet, year after year, thousands of years after thousands of years, we go around the sun within a fraction of a few seconds exactly the same. Exactly the same. When, when our atomic submarines, because of the magne uh, magnetic pools of the Earth, want to come up and they've got those really powerful rockets inside of them and they can't be off, they have to surface every 90 days and they put up an antenna and what do they do? Lock onto the North Star because the North Star is more accurate. God, we call it science because what we have learned is these things are predictable. They're the same. And so we say, oh, that's mother nature. That's the first or second law of thermodynamics. And we observe all this consistency and God would say, well, you can observe it, but it's there and it's consistent because I hold it together by the word of my power. I am the creator and the sustainer of all life. Second, it's through people. God shows his faithfulness through, he made promises to Abraham and the patriarchs. Abraham, he said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Now, can you imagine this one little nomad guy running around in a tent 4,000 plus years later? The nation of Israel, it's endured. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell can't prevent against it. And so you got 12 little followers and, and one betrays you and you start this big movement with 120 people and you're gonna change the world? You, you never travel 40, 50 miles beyond where you were born and you're living in a world where there's two billion followers of Christ and law and culture and all of history is defined by the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He if we had time, I could pass microphones around and you could tell me about how he's been faithful to you. I could tell you of time when I prayed for one of my sons in the ICU just before he we went into surgery and God healed him. I could tell you about times in, in my marriage when I thought there's no way this isn't gonna work and crying out to God and the light's coming on. God's faithful to his people. Third, he's faithful by virtue of his character. I mean, if you want to know what the Father's like, the Son is like, the, the Scripture is absolutely clear. The Old Testament picture of God the Father, classic verse, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, or the Son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he spoken and will he not do it, or has he said it and will he not bring it to pass? In other words, God is always consistent and faithful. If he speaks, if he promises 100%, he does it. Uh, the Spirit. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. 
the, the character of the Holy Spirit develops faithfulness because it's the very character, it's the fruit of God the Spirit. Or, or Jesus. You could read the entire New Testament and you get to the end and he came as the Savior, but the whole book of Revelation, the theme is he's going to come back and judge righteously. He's going to make things right. And at the very end of history, we have the conqueror, the righteous judge on a white horse and he has a robe and on his robe has two words and on his thigh. You ready for the words? Faithful and true. He could have chosen. So I think... I just want to stop real quick because I know he's kind of coming through this. We talked about uh, God showing his faithfulness through uh, creation, God showing his faithfulness through other people, God showing his faithfulness uh, through his character. And so there's like there's a lot of things that Chip here is kind of going through and saying, hey, God shows his faithfulness by all of these things. My concern is like we're not <laughs> if I if I'm in the congregation, like, what do I have to latch on to at this point? Now, I know this could this could very well be his intro, I suppose, right? This could just be a long intro. Um, and I'm hoping it's just the intro, and then we kind of lock onto a specific passage. Because right now, as the congregation, we don't really have anything to, to hang on to scripturally. We're just like, well, it's the Bible, and it, it tells of its faithfulness. And we don't really have any examples of that. Uh, there's nothing we're pulling out of to demonstrate that other than the things that Chip is throwing out. Now, again, he has talked about Abraham, uh, God's faithfulness to him, uh, God making the nation of Israel. We've talked about uh, Jesus having told disciples and that growing into the fact that like we're I'm sitting here and you're watching me go over a sermon. Right. So, I mean, like he talked about God's faithfulness and growing his plan and his people. Um, but we again, just. There's nothing to latch onto right now other than just what Chip is saying. And one of the things I think that one of the reasons that the first point in what we look at in sermon reviews is scripture is because I w we want anchored in God's word somewhere, not just some man's, no matter how eloquent they are, we want anchored in his, in his word. So let's see, this could very well just be an intro, uh, a longer intro to get into maybe uh, a more specific verse. So let's see if that's where we're going. Chosen any words. He wants you to know, you can depend on me. And finally, I don't know about you, but uh, I did not grow up ever reading the Bible. I didn't understand it. But his word is true. You can depend on the promises in Scripture. On the last night, Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, sanctify them or set them apart or make them holy. These followers now and followers in the future, make them holy by your truth, your word is truth. In Deuteronomy, it says God keeps or is faithful to the covenants that he makes with us to a thousand generations. In Hebrews, it says, let us not sway or swerve or fall away for he who promised is faithful to us. And then we have in Christ's first coming hundreds of very specific predictions. I mean, 700 years before Christ was born, he'll be born Bethlehem of a virgin. This is what will happen. I mean, hundreds of specific prophecies, all for you to say and to learn. God's faithful to his word. So that's the intellectual biblical basis for trusting God's faithfulness. What I want to do now is talk about when it really matters. I mean, I've got to have that because I'm not going to throw my brains in the trash. But the fact of the matter, the final one I think is most important to, to digest and to apply. God shows us his faithfulness in the way that he shapes our life. The way he intervenes in our life when we're weak, 
when we're tempted, when we sin, and when we utterly, utterly fail. It's when you feel like you don't deserve it. When I feel like I could go back to this picture and I could go through seasons where my wife and I just sat up in bed and cried over one of our kids and thought this was never gonna work. I've had seasons where I've been so mad at her and thought this marriage will never work and all I'm gonna hang on to your promise because I don't have any other option and God worked in our life. The Apostle Paul was having a conversation with God in a moment of weakness. He had some physical issue that God allowed him to have, a thorn in his flesh, he called it. Some people think malaria, some people think an eye disease. Personally, I think it was a bad back. Uh, <laughs> constant pain. And God speaks to Paul. After Paul asks, God says no. Paul asks, God says no. Third time, God says, my grace. Okay, so this looks like perhaps this is the scripture we're going to be in. So, uh, as always, if we kind of know where we're going to be, what scripture that, uh, that they're going to kind of put us in and we're going to be in, we need to go there. So, it's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 10, it looks like. Um, so, go there because, uh, again, we're kind of... We're starting in the middle of a thought. The actual, probably, good place to start would have been at the beginning of verse uh, of chapter 12, but we're going to start in verse 9. This looks like probably where we're going to be for maybe the rest of uh, the sermon. So I'm hoping. <laughs> Let's see where we're at here. This is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content. Literally, the word is, I will delight in. It's a choice. With weaknesses, plural. With insults, plural. With distresses, plural. With persecutions and difficulties. Why? For Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What, what you need to know, and the reason I showed you that picture, is this is a testimony not of a family or of a marriage or of a man. This is the testimony of struggling people that didn't know anything. God was faithful in our weakness. In my weakness, I wanted to bail out of my marriage. In my weakness, I wanted to like knock one of my kids' heads off because he made me so crazy. In, in my weakness, as I struggled with, with lust, I, there wasn't even the internet back then. Praise God. Praise God. But there were four girls to every guy. And I struggled and struggled and struggled. In my, in my weakness, God met me. See, when, when we're weak, we tend to run and we want a silver bullet or we'll find that person or we go eat or we open the refrigerator and, and, and put something into us that we know is not good for us. In our weakness, we try and fill the holes. And, and here's the deal. God is faithful. If in your weakness, rather than running to shopping or to work or to prescription drugs, or to focusing on your kids, or focusing on your work defining who you're going to be. In your weakness, say, God, he, here's his promise. I'll sustain you. My power is perfected in weakness. And, and your prayers are, I can't do this. I remember a little rhyme that my wife learned from some lady. It goes something like, when you say, I can't do this, God says, I never said you could. And then he says, but by my strength, I promise you always can. And God wants to meet you in your weakness. He wants to shape you. He wants to change you. Your character gets changed in weakness. You're watching. 
<laughs> okay, I'm sorry. There's a commercial <laughs> in the middle of this story. This is what I get for not watching this beforehand, guys. Uh, it's been busy. So you typically we just watch these all the way through. <laughs> but there's a so here we go, guys. For real, there's just a commercial. We're gonna play through it. <laughs> We're gonna see. Let's let's see what it let's see what it says. Being living on the edge with Chip Ingram. Chip will be back with the rest of his message in just a minute. If you're new to us, Living on the Edge is an international this is very interesting ministry dedicated to helping Christians really live like Christians. Now to enjoy more of Chip's teaching, download Get Chip's the app. Chip Ingram app. Get the Chip app. Google Play or the App Store. <laughs> now here's Chip with the rest of today's talk. Oh, God. Hey guys, thanks for watching the honest. I I'll be honest with you, I laugh at that, but I watch I watch YouTube channels all the time that people in the middle are like, "Hey, you want to hear something surprising? Only some of you are subscribed here." <laughs> so technically, that's the same thing. It's just a different different platform. Hey, if you want the Chip app, apparently you can get the Chip Ingram app. Okay, so that's a distracting thing to do in the middle of a sermon. Um so let, let's let's kind of unpack this really quick, since we have a forced a forced point here of, of stopping. So um, let's go all the way back because I think this is important. Uh, context is, is is really important to see what we're looking at here. Now, obviously, he's writing to the Corinthians. This is the second letter. There's a lot we could get into here. Paul um, writes to the Corinthians. Apparently, there's been another letter uh, at some point. Because uh, it, we label them first and second Corinthians, but there's a third there somewhere that we just don't have. Um, and he writes the second one because he uh, doesn't want to come to them and make them and like make the relationship more tense than it already is. Um, there's a lot going up to chapter 12, but we're just going to start in chapter 12, verse one, um, because quite frankly, I I'd have to do some background work more so than just pulling all that from my memory to know where we're at up to chapter 12. But this is what he says in chapter 12, verse one. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. If I go on to visions and revelations of the Lord, I know a man in Christ for uh, who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. People believe Paul's talking about himself here. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether it is the body or the, uh, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which many may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. And so this is going to the boasting and weakness or in, uh, you know, what's happened to you. Though if I should, I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that one may, uh, so that no one may think more of me uh, then he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep from boast, uh, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So he's saying like to keep me from boasting or I'm sorry, to keep me from being conceited uh, because of all the things and all the revelations I've seen, I was given uh, a messenger, Satan to harass me. Uh, and this thing that he has keeps him from becoming conceited. Verse eight, three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul has prayed for this to be gone three times very fervently. And three times God has said, no, my grace is su sufficient for you. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. So God's not taking this from me. And because he's not taking it from me, I'm going to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am uh, content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, uh, then I am strong. And that's a bit more context than what we got from Chip there, right? So this is the point. Paul has been given something by God to keep him from becoming conceited. Um, And Paul has asked for that thing to be taken away three times, and three times God has said no. You, uh, my grace is sufficient for you in this weakness that you have. And so Paul goes, okay, well, because God's not going to take it away then, he's been very clear about that, then I'm going to boast in my weakness so that other people can know who Christ is. So he's not taking it, but I'm going to boast in the fact that I still have it, but I'm relying on Christ. And then he goes through all the things, persecutions, all of these things. I'm going to boast in those because Christ is clearly allowing them and he's going to get the glory from these things. And so this idea from like what Paul's saying is that like, no matter what it is, um, I'm going to boast in it, which is a bit different. And I'll be interested to see kind of how Chip unpacks this. It is a bit different than the examples that Chip gave, right? So like overeating or marital problems or um, things like that. Like these are all things that typically come, maybe not like (laughs) annoying kids or marital problems, but a lot of the other things he mentioned come like, they, they come from your own doing some of these things. And what Paul says is that whatever this thing is that he has, he didn't like, it was given to him to keep him from being conceited. And he's asked for it to be taken away. And God says, no. And so in Chip's example of like his, his marriage, which apparently at some point was terrible. Like that's what I'm getting from it. Like he's mentioned it four times about just how terrible him and his wife got along. In that case, he could be like, Oh God, please, you know, take this terrible, annoyance of me and my wife fighting away and God goes no you're gonna fight forever and Chip going well I guess I'm just gonna have to I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna glory glorify God in this weakness of me and my wife fighting do you see like that it's it's not like a one-to-one comparison from what we see in in the scripture here um now that doesn't mean that you can't boast in your own weakness right so he's talking he was he to talk for a minute about his lust that uh, he used to struggle with apparently. And so it's a matter of like boasting that God, you know, God sustains him in that temptation. So he doesn't give into it. And then glory goes to God for sustaining him in that. Um, But that's a bit different than me and my wife fight all the time. um, And God won't take it away. (laughs) Like that's, I I just, that's a bit different as far as application there. But um, let's see kind of where he, where he unpacks this. God wants you and your weakness to know, I'll be faithful, don't bail out. Don't take a cheap substitute. In your weakness, that's when I'll draw you near. Second is when you're tempted. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 says, Okay, well now we gotta go there. So we were in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Now we're sort of jumping back. And here's the problem with doing, I mean, let's go there, right? Second Corinthians, or first, now we're in First Corinthians, I'm sorry. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing this as a pastor, okay? But we got to be really careful if we're pastors doing this to make sure that we're walking the people we're talking through, through this in a way that makes sense. 
because there's going to be all, all kinds of people listening to this sermon. Some of them have no clue about the Bible or how, you know, you know, the different books and who they were written by and what that means and different types of literature. They just don't know. So you're pointing out verses to them that they're like, wow, does this, is this all in the same book? <laughs> like, is this in the same context? And then there's other people that, that know that um, and are, I think the people that, that know 1 Corinthians is a bit different contextually than 2 Corinthians in regards to like who, you know, what Paul's talking about, what he's dealing with, that they're going to, they're going to know that a bit better and sort of notate that down. But when we're jumping from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we're losing some flow of thought here. And some of what Paul is trying to communicate to these people in this time that we can learn from, we can, we can learn a ton from it. Um, but if we're not explaining that, and we're just sort of pulling principles out. It's not necessarily a, a bad way to go about it. But we need to, I think, explain to people that's what we're doing on the front end. Because there's enough people that I run into and talk to weekly that if you do this in a sermon, they don't know you're jumping around to a bunch of different books. And I know you have the verse up there and I know you have the con like you first Corinthians, you know, logically is different than second Corinthians, but they may not know that. And so what we need to do is take into account as pastors that I have a variety of different people out here. And I'm not saying go into some long dissertation about, you know, the difference between first and second Corinthians. It just could, you could easily just say in an earlier letter, Paul writes to the Corinthians telling them about this or that, and then says this in verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 13. And so this is where ex ex expositionally walking through the text verse by verse is much different than topical preaching, because now we're not working through a text in a logical flow of thought way. We're now jumping around and sort of pulling things out to, to, to sort of back up our points, which again, isn't necessarily bad, but it can be confusing to people. So I just really want to point that out because first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is in a flow of thought and an idea that Paul is trying to get across. So that being said, let's, let's jump back in here. No temptation is overtaking you, but as such is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Two little points I wanna make. You must understand the difference between temptation and sin. I, I meet people who don't understand that and they live with shame and guilt over things that are just normal. Okay, let me, let me put it, okay. I want you to take, here's a little shelf right here, okay. This just real quick for you guys that are not watching this and are just listening to it. This sermon seems cut together. There was a, there was a very obvious sort of jump cut there. There's something that we're missing. So we're not actually getting even really the full context of the sermon. So we're going to kind of work with what we have and what we've been presented. This is all make, make believe. I'm making this up so I get to make up whatever I want. I want you to imagine that God has said to you, and, and a lot of you don't need this, but probably some of us do, is that you just, it's not God's will for everyone, but you are to be on a very strict diet, no chocolate. And here's a piece of chocolate cake. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like unbelievable, decadent, wicked chocolate and and so you happen to be in Costco <laughs> temptation oh I want that chocolate 
I want that chocolate. Are you giving out samples? Yes, would you like one? You're just tempted. You love chocolate. It's, it's a besetting sin. You can't live without chocolate. No, no. Then you come down another aisle. <laughs> right? Okay? You're tempted. You haven't sinned. It just means there's something that attracts you to make you want to do something that in this particular case, you know for sure is not God's will. It won't be good for you. Now, sin has just occurred. Now, I use chocolate cake because it's very benign. For some in this room, your besetting sin is not chocolate, it's pornography. And you look for times to privately log on. For some of you, you have an eating disorder and you hide it. For others, it's shopping. And every time you feel a little blue, you're tempted to go spend money you don't have and charge things. And by the way, every besetting sin is always covered by something called lying. The lie is, and this is throughout the church, is not just that you're tempted. God promises you don't have to cave in, but you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. Willpower won't work. He says, there isn't a temptation, and the lies are, this is just mine, it's unique, it's my family background, it's the way I'm wired, I can't help myself. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Not true. There is faithfulness that can allow you to break free from that. It gets even better. When you take the bite of your chocolate, and in your mind, I want you to think what it is. Because I think I left out the prescription drug people and the second, third, and fourth class of wine people. You're just a functioning alcoholic. And people have talked to you about it. And by the way, my prayer before we started, for me and for you, Almighty God, Holy Spirit, will you peel back the layers of denial? Would you cause us to see ourselves for who we really are instead of all the excuses and all the denial and all the ways that we've somehow been able to live these lives of duplicity because if you don't get real and if you don't own it, if you don't say, that's my chocolate, that's my besetting sin, that's my struggle, and there's a way out, then you don't change. And, and, and then you receive the consequences of your behavior and it breaks your heavenly father's heart. So one of the things that he is doing here that I think is really helpful is that it's something that I think we, we see often a lot of preachers use this um, to sort of uncover bigger things. So he did the whole chocolate analogy and then he just right out said like, Hey, look, like that's just like a very benign example of something that everybody in this room probably deals with on a very different levels. And he goes through a whole bunch of stuff. Like he goes through, I mean, I can't think of something he didn't touch. He's talking about money issues. He's talking about lust issues. He's talking about um, addictions in regards to all sorts of uh, alcohol prescription, all these things he's talking about. And, so he uses the whole chocolate analogy as an example. Uh, going back to the verse that he talked about, no temptation has overcome you, that uh, God is not faithful to take you out of. Also connecting that back to in your weakness, God is, uh, you can glory in your weakness. And so it seems like what he's building through is like, hey, you have a weakness. God's maybe not going to take that away but you're going to have to glory, glorify him in it by not giving into it. Then he moves to the temptation verse that sort of backs that up and says, hey, there's, tempta- no, there's no temptation that's overcome you that God is not faithful to keep you from. 
unveils what their temptation is. And then hopefully now what we're working toward here, because we're halfway through the sermon, uh, what we're working to here, hopefully, is him, his pointing to the gospel again and saying like, because he, who he's talking to here, essentially, it seems like who he's talking to, uh, obviously, unbelievers are part of this. But it seems like who he's talking to is believers that have given their life to Christ, but still deal with things. But these are more secret things than like obvious ones that they had maybe when they came to Christ. These are other things that they're uh, either are socially acceptable sins or sins that they've just learned to hide really, really well. And every church (laughs) and every Christian has to deal with this because they're like, they're everywhere. Like the shopping thing is one that's just socially acceptable. Uh, the drinking one is socially acceptable. Obviously there's other ones. Like he mentioned the lust one, um, that's not as socially acceptable, but people within the church are really, really good at hiding that one. And so he's just unveiling all of these things. And my hope is like, we're on a really good track here to point people to, uh, to repentance and freedom in Christ and continual sanctification, right? Um, that would be the goal, I think, is if, if I'm trying to like think through the sermon from a pastoral standpoint, my goal is to say, hey, unveil this thing, point you to the sanctifying work in, in all believers' lives, and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does in convicting and guiding and... Uh, and leading you to repentance from a very specific thing. It's not that you're not saved. It's that there's, there are, there's work to be done in your life because, um, you, you're still holding on to things. Um, I think anger was one he didn't mention, but he, as far as specifically in all of this, but he's mentioned that, that he had that his himself that he had to deal with. And so there's all these littler things that, that believers still deal with and sanctification is that process of the Holy Spirit bringing those things out one by one. I've described that before as like, there's, there's things that you're like, Oh, I'm like, I'm over that thing. And the Holy Spirit opens another door. It's like, yep, now we get, now we're going to deal with this other one. And so this seems to be kind of what he's trying to do and sort of unveil these things that are in their life as believers that they're either hiding or don't even really think is an issue because it's a coping mechanism. And he's trying to unveil those and say, Hey, like we've got to deal with these and he's doing it by walking us through the scripture. Again, I gave him some, some junk there about, uh, second Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the verses nine through 10 that he talked about not being specifically about, you know, kind of the examples he gave, but it's not a far stretch. I, again, I think we could have just worked that out a little bit better, but it's not totally out of context per se. But even when you blow it, when you sin, here's God's faithfulness. If you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is, are you ready? Here's our word, faithful and just to forgive you your sin, and not just that, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, once you take the chocolate and you've logged on one more time and you've spent money that you don't have and you took the vacation because it made you feel better and then, when you've posed and gossiped about someone else because somehow saying untrue things or shaded things about someone else puts them down and makes you feel better out of the envy in your heart. We all do these things. Then you feel such shame, especially if it comes to light. And he says, I'm faithful. I'll help you in your weakness. I'll help you when you're tempted. When you are biting the chocolate like this, if you'll come clean and say, oh God, I agree with you. That's what the word confess means. I agree with you. This is wrong. Would you forgive me? Jesus said, well, that's why I died. 
and I want to forgive you, and I want to cleanse you, and I want to put you on a new path. In fact, it gets so radical. This is a God that I don't think most Christians know. I think most Christians are living with sort of a, a healthy dose of sin management. You know, I don't think I'm sinning quite about as much as other people, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and of course, the Scripture says this, and I know it's a violation, but everyone else is doing it, and I think if I only do it at these times in these certain ways, and you live with this God consciousness over here, and this blatant things that you know are wrong over here, and it's just duplicity. That's a word right there. Okay, so real quick, um, one of the things he said was the confessing the sins part, which I think, I mean, again, I think we, like, we skimmed right over that. Um, that was a really good point that he made, that confessing is agreeing. I, I'm confessing by saying, I'm agreeing that they are sins. I'm agreeing that these things are egregious to, to you, God. That one, I think that was a really good point that um, maybe, he, again, this is the only sermon I've ever heard Chip preach, so maybe he says that a lot, and it's just sort of everybody knows when he says that, that that's what he means. But that was a really good point. And then him pulling out this idea that, you know, Christians just, you know, this is just sin management, that, that, that we don't really understand the weight and um, rebellion in our sin, and then we compare with other people. And so what he's kind of pulling out there, I think, is really helpful, saying, like, you think that this isn't as bad as this over here, but this still needs confessed. Still need... So really what he's doing now, like, so we went to, again, to go back to the sermon building, which I think is just crucial. We don't think about that so much, but you're walking people through something from point A to point B. He's already told us, how are we going to see God's faithfulness even in the hard times? Well, this is sort of what he's supposed to be doing is walking us through that. So he says, hey, look, you know, God is faithful even in your weakness. He's not going to give you a temptation that he's not faithful to have, help you overcome. Here are the things that you probably are struggling with. And now what he's doing, he's really tilling up the soil here. He's stirring the pot a bit. Uh, he's saying, like, you know, this is a sin. You knew it when I probably said it. And now you're saying, yeah, but it's not as bad over here or I, I can manage this better. It's not. So he, he's working you through the acknowledgement and denial part and now hopefully leading us toward the confession part. And it tears at your soul and it embarrasses the reputation of God. But even if you go beyond weakness and temptation and sin to, I mean, just failure, like I'm done. Notice what the scripture says about this wonderful, great God that takes messed up people like this and is faithful to change them from the inside out. And by the way, that picture, there's other pictures coming, and I would have new stories about other issues and struggles that we will have, because we will arrive when we see Jesus face to face, just like you. Second Timothy chapter two says, it is a trustworthy statement that if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Did you get the parallelism? We've died with Christ in, like in belief and baptism. We're going to live with him. We endure. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna, even if we're persecuted, we're going to reign. There's a reward. If we deny him by our behavior, by our actions, he'll deny us. You know, when you're not walking with God, he doesn't give you peace. His blessing is not on your life. He, he keeps wooing you, but if, if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. When you're faithless, I mean, I mean, when your whole spiritual engine breaks down and you've messed up beyond just sin, you, you are running away from God and you think there's no hope. You're in a black hole and you think God could never, ever, ever. And part of you, your heart's getting so hard, you don't even care and you're running away. When you're faithless, are you ready for this? He remains faithful. 
Why? Because he can't deny himself. It's his character. This may come as a surprise to those of you that don't know me very well, but I grew up in a church with huge hypocrisy. Uh, we didn't use the Bible, but I knew that I didn't want anything to do with God or people who said they were Christians. But I was a basketball junkie, and I went to a camp, and I saw people live it out, and they gave me a Bible, and I realized I rejected it, but I'd never read it. So I said, oh, yeah. God, if you're real, literally. I got a yellow pad out. God, if you're real, prove it. I'll read the New Testament. Memo, he is. But I was in uh, the faith for two years, and I had a besetting sin. It was lust. And praise God, there was not the internet. There was four girls to every guy on our campus. And, you know, first it was behavior, and then I started to grow, and then it... So what he's going to do here, I think this is really helpful, right? So the, I, I've said before, it's, as pastors, we need to be careful in the stories we tell to make, you know, because sometimes what will happen is there will be a point that a pastor is trying to make, and then they'll tell this long story that's something that happened to them, and that whole story could have been very much summed up without all the detail or just completely emanated because it doesn't really help expand the point. It more distracts from the point they're trying to make. I don't know how this story is going to go, but it feels to me like what he's doing here is actually the good version of that saying like, Hey, here's something I'm talking about. And now he's going to tell us a story of his own life where he had to walk through that through all the stages he's already told us about. So now Instead of making it about him, he's using his life as an example of what it looks like to walk through these stages. And that is different. Like, that's different. There's, it's one thing to tell a you know, cute little story about your kid or something that happened to try to make a, a, try to attach it to one singular point and that being really distracting to what's going on versus being open and honest with your congregation or with other believers about something that you've gone through for the purpose of being a living example of what God can do in someone's life. So one is for more entertainment. The other is for more of an impact, if that makes sense. And that's where we really have to, I think, as pastors or as fellow or just as believers, when we're telling people about Jesus, um, like, are we telling it to, you know, to make us the hero or, or, or Jesus the hero, essentially? And I think we're about to get into a time where he's going to be really, really open about some of his life. And at the end of the day, this isn't making him the hero at all. This is showing how Christ works in one's life. And this is a difficult thing to do, especially as a pastor or anybody, really getting in front of people and telling them the things that you've dealt with, but Christ has freed you from. So let's kind of see how this goes. It was some actions in my speech, and then it was my thought life. And, you know, I'd sit around a table with the basketball team, and if you know what locker rooms are, just, and I just, God, I'm sorry I said that. I'll never say that again. God, last night on that date I did this. I'll never do that again. God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Next day, next week, next day, next week, next week. I just... And, and I just like, I, I said I'm sorry 5,000 times and went back and did the same thing over and over and over. Can anyone identify with your chocolate cake problem? And so, you know, I thought I was taking the high road. I thought, well, you know what? I can't live this life, but I'm not going to be like the people in my church. So literally, I quit. I had, I had a Bible and I had one little poster in my dorm that said, to the glory of God. I, you know, had masking tape behind it. I pulled it down, folded it, stuck my Bible in the poster, and this is Chip Ingram turning in my jersey. I'm done. I quit the Christian life. I can't live it, so I'm not trying. I'm done. Whew. That afternoon, I'm walking across campus, and a verse comes to my mind. Oh, my gosh. 
Hello? Uh, we got a communication problem here. Didn't make it all the way up the throne. I'm done. I turned in my jersey. I don't pray. I don't read. I'm not trying to be moral anymore. Okay? Good. Next day, some Christian. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Oh, my gosh. Look, you, you haven't heard. I quit the Christian life. I don't want your encouragement. I don't want to go to Bible study. Leave me alone. Now, here's the thing that I got to give him credit for. Bro was like, I ain't going to be a hypocrite, so forget this nonsense. And just <laughs> the, the, the glory of God be like, no, nah, you don't get that off that easy, Chip. No, bro. Uh-uh. This is similar to my, my friend Rob's story. Um, I'm not sure if he's told it in a podcast or not. Anyway, it's very similar of God just not leaving him alone. So let, let's get back to it. But that you got to give the boy props because, I mean, most people would just keep being a hypocrite. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. So it's either hypocrisy or no Christianity. And I'm going to pick no Christianity. And God is just not letting this guy go. The next day, God just wouldn't leave me alone. When I sinned, it was just like, when I was a non-Christian, I sinned. It was just fun. I, didn't have, I had a little bit of guilt, not much. But after I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and you grieve the Spirit. You break God's heart, and it hurts. Now, you can sear it over time, but I was breaking God's heart, and so I would sin, and I had that same conviction, and it was like, Chip, do you remember when you prayed to receive Christ and became a follower of Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that verse, Revelation 3.20? Yeah. Remember, it said, behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. If any man or any woman would open the door of your heart, I would come in and live with you and eat with you, and you would have a new life, and we would go on together. Yeah. Well, didn't you open the door? Yeah. Well, I came in. You can keep, try to not keep your word, but I can't violate my word. I said I would come in. Now, I, I may bring the velvet vice of consequences. Life can get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder until I get your attention. In fact, in scriptures, there's some genuine believers that God takes home early because they just get so hard-hearted. But he goes, I'm your dad. I love you. Even when you're faithless, I'm faithful because I cannot deny myself. Wouldn't you like to go through life with a friend like that? Wouldn't you want to go through life with someone that when you're tempted and when you're weak and when you sin and when you just fail, that would say, come unto me, let me love you, let me restore you. That's that family's journey. I'd like you to think about what you're going to do with your life as we close this series. I'd like you to really think about what it is going to look like for you to say to God, I'm going to own my stuff, no more double life. It's going to be a little bit scary, but I'm going to, I am going to pursue making Christ and knowing him, the number one priority in family, in work, and hobbies, and money, and plans will revolve around, I want to do life the way that would honor and please you. So one of the things that I think he did really well there, I, I just, you don't see this type of preaching a lot anymore. Like this seems to be like a previous generation-ist style. But what he did there was, he didn't like press it home real hard, which I think... I mean, he, he could have very easily, but what the point he just made was that when you, when you sin and you're a believer, this isn't a God that's coming after you with a stick to beat you over the head with and make you just be like, why are you being so bad? It's a God that is coming alongside of you and saying like, you know better, right? Like, like again, it's this whole father motif that he's talking about. As a dad, when my kids mess up, my, my job isn't to go like 
just just punish them to no end is to be like like you recognize the mistake right like you know that's not the right thing and wooing them into this position that they already know they're supposed to be the things they already know they're supposed to be doing and so like again he i think he could have used some verses here he could have really anchored it a bit more in the bible but he's making it really really personable with people saying like, hey, look, God is faithful to you. And then he tells this personal example of a story that like, even when he's like, hey, God, I'm done. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I'm just not going to do it of God just pursuing him and be like, like, that's not how this works. And I think just the story that he, that he, that he tells there, it's just so like maybe glossed over, not purposefully, but like the reality of when God gets a hold of you, he gets a hold of you. It's not like a moral you're not, you're not being moral. And then he's like, Oh, well, you're on my team. It's like, he grabs you. And like what Chip was saying, like sinning was fun before it wasn't fun anymore. And so this is like, I, I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard of this of, from people. They're like, like I did, like they almost are like, I don't want to be Christians. I don't want to be a Christian, but God has a hold of them and they just can't enjoy sin. And he has so transformed their life without them even maybe even knowing it that they are his and he is he is sanctifying them in a way that they didn't expect nobody told them about um and this seems to be in line with what chip is talking about with his testimonies like he was like i don't want to be a hypocrite so i'm out and god is still pursuing him and sanctifying him um and that's just a really cool story and so i i that was sort of glossed over there but i think that's that's that is such a genuine conversion that lines up with so many other testimonies that I know about where they're just like, like I heard about Jesus. I heard, you know, about my sin. I was like, I don't, I, I want to follow you. I confess that these things are wrong. And then sometimes we communicate and it seems maybe that's what was communicated to him early on was like, well, you know, snap your fingers. You shouldn't be sinning anymore. And then he notices this hypocrisy in this double life. And he's like, well, I don't want to live this way. So I'm just going to just, okay, God, I can't do it your way. So I'm just not going to do it. And God being like, that's not how, like, there's a sanctifying process here. And this is what Chip seems to be leading his people through. Like, yeah, you're not faithful. That's not a surprise. <laughs> like, God is faithful, though. And this is how he's faithful. So, like, how he started off at the beginning, where I was like, man, this is a really long intro. Like, he was, he did get to that point where he's like, well, this is the intellectual side of it. This is how we know God is faithful intellectually. But in our lives, this is how it's worked out. And so he's walked us through that, like, God is not like he, he can be glorified in your weakness because you're not going to get it right all the time. You're going to be tempted, but God has made it to where you don't have to fall into sin. Hey, here are all your sins. Let me turn that up a little bit. Okay, well, here's mine. This is how he was faithful through my life. And now he's walking us toward the end here. Uh, the last about looks like six or seven minutes of what we've got. Probably, I'm hoping, leading us into what that looks like to live a life of sanctification, um, becoming more and more like Christ. So let's get into that. And all I can tell you is, it's the life that's truly life. As we close our time today. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. Oh, every time. Okay, so for those that are audio listeners, we're back to a different commercial here. Apparently, we're, we've, we've cut this video together. I can only imagine that many of you could really identify with the teaching in the last section when you're tempted and when you fail. So here's three very specific ways that we can respond to God's faithfulness. Number one, are you ready for this? Put your past behind you. 
Listen carefully to 1 John 1, 9. It's a promise from God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No more shame, no more guilt. Get real, get honest, put your past behind you. Second, bring your present pain and problems and struggles to Jesus. Don't live with those anymore. Jesus would say to you right now, right where you're at, come unto me, all of you that are burdened and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm meek and humble in heart. I'll bring rest to your soul. You can either depend on you and keep on striving, or you can accept the faithfulness of God. He wants to lead you, to guide you, to let you rest. And so put your past behind you and now bring your present problems to him. He wants to help. And then finally, place your hope fully on God and God alone. Not on man, not on politics, not in economics. On God and God alone. Jeremiah would write, cursed is the man who places his trust or hope in man. But then he turns it around and he says, blessed, blessed is the follower of God who puts his hope fully in God and his promises. Would you just pause for just a moment and, and pray with me? Father, I pray as the apostle Paul prayed that you would enlighten the eyes of the heart that you would help my fellow believers, my brothers and my sisters grasp and understand in ways beyond all human understanding who you really are, that they might know your faithfulness and your love and your purity and your power and how much you care for them. You know, it's a journey, one that will never end until we see him face to face. But until then, you can know him accurately as he is, the real God, my heart's desire is that you would seek him and you would find him when you seek him with all your heart. God bless you and keep pressing ahead. Okay, so that was the end of that. So we, he, he did clarify there at the end that this sermon was very specifically for people that were already believers. So th that's that's interesting. We will talk about that here here in a minute near the end. So let's go over the three things that we look for in every single sermon. One, did he read the scriptures? He did. We, we pulled out a variety of different verses uh, from a variety of different places. Basically, again, very true to topical preaching to sort of point to or prove a point that he was sort of trying to build for us. Um, so he did read the scriptures. The second point that we always ask that he, you know, exegete those scriptures using context and culture to bring out application. Not so much, really. Not really at all. But again, he didn't expositionally work us through the scriptures. So when you're topically preaching and you're using those verses, your goal in those verses isn't to really exegete them. That's not your point. Your point is basically using them as like little anchors throughout the text. And again, we could go into a whole thing about expositional topical preaching. We're not going to. The point just being that um, he did it. He did not exegete the text at all. Um, he did bring a bit of application, but he sort of had to as he was connecting all those verses together uh, for his points. And the last one is, did he preach the gospel of Christ? Uh, now he did. He he continually pointed um, to God's faithfulness in Jesus throughout the sermon about it's this confessing that yes I am a sinner as you've said I am and then following Jesus um, 
in in understanding who he is and the faithfulness that he can bring in your life. Now, he didn't get into the, you know, Jesus' perfect life lived, Jesus' death in our place for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension is coming back again. He didn't get into that detail. He did talk about, though, a life in Christ is a changed life. And so this knowing and understanding that he was talking to specifically believers about besetting sin that the Lord wants to take from their life through this sort of process of sanctification is really helpful to understand, um, one, his view of church, which seems to be, at least from this one little sermon, it seems to be that he believes that the gathering on Sunday is the gathering for believers, and therefore we're going to write sermons in such a way that if an unbeliever hears them, we're pointing them to the gospel and to this faithfulness in Jesus. But primarily, these sermons are going to be for people that already know Jesus and that are tr- that are working through what it means to be a Christ follower in these various places in their lives. And so he talked about, hey, there's these probably sins that you've hidden, and you need to dig those up and deal with those because they're they're preventing you from understanding God's faithfulness in your life. And he really touched on near the end there about how you you think if you fail that he doesn't love you anymore, but he's actually in those failures showing you how much more faithful he is to you because he's faithful when you're not. And so this was a really was a super interesting sermon in regards to the fact that it was not scripture heavy. It was very practical in nature, but it was practical in nature and not just like, hey, five ways to a better life. But every time he talked about an issue using his family as an example, he talked about God's faithfulness in Jesus to help them come through those things. So um, overall, like not sort of my particular sort of, you know, you know, pick of you know how to do a sermon, but it was I think it was really good in regards to using himself as an example, not in this glorifying way of himself, but as this really like bad, like he kept really demonstrating how he was just a sinful man over and over again, but how God was faithful in sanctifying him through that and bringing not only him, but his family faithfully through those circumstances. Um, So again, very topical, uh, very application heavy, but still faithful. Uh, to the Christian life and what's going on. And this is why, again, I say that we're not really looking at methodology because methodologically, that's much different than I would present a sermon or even the sermons I'd like, like that I prefer to listen to. But as far as the core of what he's saying, is it faithful to scripture? I didn't see anything there that wasn't. And in fact, I think there's a few things that he did really well in regards to pointing out that sometimes expositionally other pastors miss in regards of showing, you know, God being incredibly faithful, a loving father, um, bringing out those things that we talked about as far as confession is agreeing with God that I am a sinner, as he says, I am in need and am need of, in need of him. Um, so that was all really good. So hopefully, um, man, that was a little different. That was, <laughs> that, that was a bit of a different type of sermon and I've never heard. I'm assuming again, I don't know how Chip preaches. This is one sermon example is usually fairly consistent with all the other sermons that people preach. And if this is how Chip always preaches, um, I could see where people would um, like the style in regards to very personable, very applicable, uh, very sort of in your face in a gentle way. Um, so let me know what you guys think. Have you heard of Chip Ingram before? Have you do, you do you like this style? Do you prefer topical or do you prefer expositional? And what did you feel about this sermon? Did I maybe miss something? Maybe I was too soft on him. Maybe I wasn't hard enough. Um, Let me know in the comments below and we'll talk to you next week.